If you've been listening to my show, you know that the importer on the back of the bottle is one of the surest ways to guarantee a quality bottle of wine. That's why I'm so excited to tell you about Taub Family Selections. Taub Family Selections is a dynamic, fourth-generation, family-owned wine import company with a truly incredible portfolio of fine wines from 11 countries. These wines not only embody the unique terroir in which they are produced, but the passion and integrity of each family member involved from vineyard to table. Notable estates include Mastro Berardino, Bertani, Travellini, Ferrari, Coldorcia, Trimbach, Jean-Luc Colombo, Jean-Michel Jarin, among many other renowned producers. They also have from Bordeaux, Lafitte Rothschild from the left bank, and on the right bank, they have Chateau Lafleur. I'm telling you, these guys have it all. To find out even more, go to TaubFamilySelections.com. That's T-A-U-B, FamilySelections.com. Do you know about Grapes, the wine company? Grapes is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year. They offer a remarkable selection of wines and spirits. The breadth and depth of their inventory is astounding. Add in an unparalleled level of expertise and customer service, and you could see why other retailers are green with envy. Through their extensive and ever-growing network of relationships from around the world, Grapes, the wine company, offers the opportunity to discover the newest and most exciting wines and revisit the classics from both established and emerging wine regions. Grapes features a selection of over 4,000 wines and spirits. The Wall Street Journal has called Grapes one of the most influential retailers in the U.S., and it rings true to this day. Wine is a joyful thing, and Grapes the Wine Company exists to connect people with the choices bottles. Ordering is super simple using their easy-to-navigate website, or go old school and call to speak with one of their wine consultants for an in-depth feedback for your wine and spirits needs. Call them at 914-397-9463. That's 914-397-WINE. Or email your general inquiries to info at grapesthewineco.com. That's info at grapes, T-H-E-W-I-N-E-C-O.com. You'll be glad you did. Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey, everybody, what's up? It's your boy, MJ, and welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today comes from an executive background, a wine importer, a business owner, and is dedicated to global humanitarian support. Welcome, Peter Morales. He graduated from Lehigh University in 1984. His career began in retail and operations management at Johnson & Johnson, uh, then Grand Metropolitan, which is now Diageo, and Peerless Importers. In 1998, Peter opened his own worldwide business consulting company, Peter Andrew LLC, which specializes in international beverages. After taking on a project with South Africa, where he successfully developed plans to market wines to the United States, Morales jumped into the importing business and started his company, 57 Main Street Imports. Uh, Peter is currently at Black Hawk Imports, which is what 57 Main morphed into. 
in 2014, and Peter won the Rutgers University Vision of Excellence Award as the chairman of Vision 57 Foundation. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. Thank you very much. Anything else you'd like to add? I mean, like we could go on and on, but we had to pick a few points. No, no, thank you. Those are all good starting points, and I look back, and it's a blur, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I've been in food and beverage for a long time, and uh, yeah, as I shared with you, uh, food has always been a passion. I'm a Caribbean guy, uh, so uh, you know, uh, Sunday Sunday dinners in the Caribbean, whether it was uh, oxtail or cow foot soup, you know, just uh, with some nice coconut, uh, uh, you know, coconut garnish and 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 all the rest, right? Cassava and and uh, root, uh, yeah, I love it, it. it's all that. They call it yard food. A yard food. Yeah, a little, yard food. A little callaloo. So, I mean, over the years, yeah, I always had a passion. And, um, you know, my technical background, people always talk about, uh, ask me, how'd you get from metallurgy and materials and sciences and things like that into, uh, you know, doing cattle, cattle uh, uh, you know, we're in the cattle business also in Montana and, and then doing the agri, it's, it's agribusiness, right? I mean, the soils, we had to get minerals out of the soils for the different, uh, you had to understand metallurgy and materials. You know what you're bringing out of the soil and, and, and what you're going to turn it into. And the same thing, you know, wine composition, uh, you have all different types, of, you know, in the age red wine, you have 450 different compounds in it. And it, it just matches up. So people say, and then fermentation and as technical as you want to get. Yeah. Right. So having the technical background that I had, uh, it has just helped me immensely, you know, work with some incredible winemakers around the world over the years. And then in, uh, in the, um, uh, things like uh, husbandry and things like that and understanding what they're doing, the genetics of breeding great Angus uh, cattle and, and, and lines that, you know, people look and are proud at what they're serving at some of the great steakhouses in the world. So, uh, yeah, it's all kind of melded together. People ask me all the time. Yeah. It seems like all of your professional background is uh, you, you use all the time. And I said, yeah, I do. I do. It's last two pandemic years, I, you know, running uh, uh, COVID safety for a major food company here, uh, Fancy Foods out of the Bronx, who's also my partner on our food projects and things like that. So it's, uh, you know, all dimension, keeping America with food and keeping grocery stores stocked was critically important to us over the last two years. So we were proud. We didn't miss one shipping day as far as getting food to New York groceries and things like that. So, uh, you know, uh, this country was without a rudder when this thing started, as you know. Yeah. And people yeah. were yeah. Yeah, coming up with all types of, uh, okay, this is our safety protocol. Clorox. <laughs> yeah, Clorox, right? Off the shelf. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you know, you go to the store and you couldn't find wipes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I took baby wipes because I used to work for Johnson Johnson back in the day. Baby wipes was one of our products. I took baby wipes and took Clorox, soaked the baby wipes, and then I had my sanitary alcohol wipes. So that's, you know, I mean, a lot of people came up with ingenious hacks for safety over the last two years. Incredible stuff. So, uh, yeah. Well, we're going to have a lot to talk about this afternoon for sure. Um just tell everybody uh, this is one of your wines we're we're having right now in your in your book. Uh, just tell them about this particular wine we're having right now. Uh, so the wine we're having now is uh, Peramo. Peramo means perseverance in love, Latin translation. So it's Peramo Anniversario, the the anniversary of persevering in love. And as I again, as you you you, you do your like market study, uh, you know we came up with this with the original 
white flowers and hummingbirds. Mm -hmm. right? we, we felt uh, women love that. How yeah, it's they, a beautiful uh, package. The bottle's beautiful. Yeah, how could they turn that down? Right. <laughs> every woman and every, uh, but every human being, they look at this and they say, wow, male or female yeah. or, or other, yeah. uh, whomever, right? So, so we got that right. We didn't have to force it. And what I like is a term that's called simply sophisticated. And that's what people have said to this. You know, you didn't try to overdo this bottle and shade it and all types of things. And I said, look, hummingbirds were always part of my life in the Caribbean. They meant a lot. This is the hardest working bird in the world. Fly up here during the season, thousands of miles. How many beats per, per minute? They'd yeah. be 3,000 beats per minute. So hardest working bird. So we said that perseverance that you see a hummingbird do. But uh, the whole capture of perseverance and love, people say, we want to pursue love every day. Right. And, and I just it just it meant so much to me in researching the name and saying, this is what we want this to be. And whether you love skiing, you love biking, you love hiking, celebrate with Pernamo. I love it. I love it. So let's start the beginning. So you, you already said you were a Caribbean you have Caribbean descent. Where did you grow up? Um, well, part of it was in Port of Spain, Trinidad. OK. Right? Uh, you know, Port of Spain, Trinidad and uh, lived in a town called Belmont. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was born in Port of Spain, so uh, mom, but uh, that's uh, you know, early 60s, and uh, and then uh, we lived in a place called Belmont, which was right across from Queens Park, Savannah. And uh, Queens Park, Savannah is one of the biggest horse racing tracks in, 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 in the hemisphere. So, every we were on a British Commonwealth, mm -hmm. so the uh, Brits used to come in every racing season, open up their magnificent houses that were around the park. So I actually worked at the horse track. Okay. I would help the the the, the, the um, jockeys uh, get rid of pigeons and things like that, and I just show them away so they wouldn't spook the horses too much. Lots of pigeons were looking for the grain and the oats and all that. So you know, they gave me different tasks to do, carrying buckets and and uh, you know, helping them bring the horses out and things like that. So I, I I you know I loved that. I was always and I knew the winners on the weekend. You know, and well, you know, as you know, my mom would give me a dollar. I'd come home with two hundred. She said, "You do." So, I, you know, I'd, I'd get consenting adults and say, "I like that. I like the stripes he's wearing today, or whatever, whatever." But I would see these horses training, yeah, and and I I I, I knew how they were feeling. So you know, it was good. I I was around. I love horses, and I I rode as a little boy, and so that was uh, you know part of it. Always close to the earth, so mm -hmm. to speak. But um, yeah, I was telling you before the cuisine in that country. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the different. Um, you know, we have uh, amalgamation of people there, right? You have Indian, you have the, uh, you know African descent. Yeah, you, know, you have the Spanish. Uh, so you have uh, Asian influence and whatever. And the, and the foods were just incredible. Tropical cooking with mango and coconut, mm. and that whole basis, and then curries and spices. I mean, we have some of the hottest hot sauce in the world. There, it'll, it'll make smoke come out of the top of your head, <laughs> right? So, I mean, I had an experience as a kid. You know, my mom left us with the neighbor for the day. She had to go away and, 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 and do some stuff in another town. So we were playing outside and all that. And I'm watching the birds in the tree, and it, it's called a bird pepper tree. And the birds are eating these peppers. They just sit up there and they eat the peppers. Oh. So I'm like, okay. So I said, I want to try one of those. So I went and I, I broke open this bird pepper, and some of the juice went into my eyes, oh. and 
then I'd rub my eyes trying to it because and the um you know the uh, the the uh, juice was on my hands too. The re- I was gone. The rest of the day, my mom came home, uh, eyes bloodshot, whatever, whatever. I said, you know, and she said, that's for the birds, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> I said, I learned. So it was one of those learnings you, you saw and you thought, okay, I can handle that. Yeah. Uh, don't mess look, with birds. Look bird. at that little bird, little bird. <laughs> yeah. You're just going through all those peppers. <laughs> don't mess with bird pepper. But uh, she she used it sparingly in, in you know the food dishes on the weekend. On the weekend were our meals, Saturday Sunday. During the week we were at school, so we had you know basic sustenance, you know mm-hmm. cheeses and breads and 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 tea and uh, you know some vegetables during the week. But on the weekend was when we got protein. We had good fish. We used to go down to the fresh market in town, come back with some good whole fish and 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 a chicken that we had to pluck and. Uh, you know, cook up. So it was all part. I learned to cook by the time I was five. Oh my goodness! Uh, yeah, yeah. So this again set up. Yeah, for... it, it's totally like yeah. It, it, it you know, uh, I I'm just tripping because like there's so much for us to like, unpack. But yeah, like, like your whole life has just been infused with food, and then obviously a natural progression as you get older. If you love food, is probably is, is the marriage of food and wine together. So it, I can see it making sense. So how old were you um, when you uh, came to the United States? Uh, the first time I was 13 months old. Came into Idlewild Airport and uh, all the trappings of that. And then went back and forth. And then uh, grandma passed. And uh, and then I ended up coming back again in 65 mm-hmm. into Newark, New Jersey. And 65 through 68, 69, you know, riots and all that. So I tell people about that all the time as we're, you know, some of the discussions over the past two years concerning, uh, you know, where we are in the world now and, and, and uh, the, the balance of mankind. And I, you know, I lived that as a kid, right, mm. through a time when and there was serious racial unrest mm-hmm. and, and, and the things that were in this country. So I, you know, had to navigate that. And, and, and Newark was a uh, Newark was a tough town, mm-hmm. and uh, at that time, late sixties, and uh, so uh, yeah, uh, then we uh, migrated to to Plainfield, New Jersey, and and then uh, you know my initial rooting for which is where I met uh, Marty and rest of the gang was Somerville, New Jersey. Okay, you know junior high, high school, but I lived also in Virginia for a while and Salisbury, Maryland, Frank Purdue's Chicken Town. Okay. So this is a great story, yeah. you know, to uh, measuring with food and wine, right? We love great stories around here. <laughs> yeah. So I'm 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 in school in in Newark, New Jersey, and uh, yeah, it's, yeah, doing well and all that. So I was here basically with with my, uh, my cousins. It was two men and a boy, and uh, so there was a, a teacher that you know um, really helped and mentored me and and she said i'm getting a transfer to maryland so she asked my cousins and said you know this little boy has promised so i want to take him yeah if you don't mind so my cousins said well let's sit down and you know work this out and i talked to my mom and whatever whatever i ended up in salisbury maryland and wicomico county so the funny part is where we lived there we were right along the route for frank Perdue uh to the to the chicken uh slaughter plant, the processing plant. The trucks used to come through there off Route 13 every night. And what happened inevitably, some of the uh, chicken crates would fall off the trucks. And so in the morning, you would come out, and there were chickens on your front yard that escaped the slaughterhouse. And you hear about that stuff 
all the time now, right? You hear about the cow on Long Island that they couldn't find in the uh, woods. You remember that? No, I I did not. Yeah, within the I think it was last summer. What? A, 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 yeah, a cow escaped <laughs> the slaughterhouse. And sometimes here in the city with some of these halal processing places, okay. they bring in live right, goats and things, hand. and they have to – and some of them escape. So NYPD has to bring them back in or put them somewhere, and then they usually get spared, right? Yeah. So uh, – but we used to end up with these Frank Purdue chickens on our front lawn. No one ever came to claim them. And, so, and I was like, oh, well, you know, he's like, oh, I know how to pluck a chicken, so <laughs> – yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was – thank you, God. <laughs> Like manna from heaven, totally. <laughs> yeah, so so that that's an interesting piece. When you when you try to meld your your life uh, storyline, and then you look at the culinary pieces and the, and the key uh, <laughs> you know, intersections, yeah, right? Yeah. And and when these things happened, but um, yeah, so that uh, you know it was like fifth fifth sixth grade, then sixth grade. I came back and settled in Somerville, New Jersey. Okay. And, uh, you know, went, went to school there, Somerville Middle School, Somerville High School, and then went on to Lehigh from there. Yeah. yeah. So um, <clears throat> Lehigh is, is it's, it's, a, it's a great little university. Um, so your teacher is right. Clearly you have promise. Um, and uh, you kind of alluded to this in, in the beginning. What did you major in actually at Lehigh? Yeah, so uh, um, – Physical sciences, so with a concentration in metallurgy. Okay. Right, metallurgy and materials. Beth Steele was right there. And there, there was another, there's a little backstory there. Please. There was a, uh, there's a steel company called Iscott Steel in, in, in Trinidad. Okay. So part of my master plan was get what I needed to get here and then get back down there. I mean, you know, we had oil bauxite, a very, as far as Caribbean country, mm -hmm. you know, one of the highest educational levels and, and uh, industry. Right? And part of it was saying, hey, maybe one day I go down and go back and uh, either petroleum fields, Texaco was a big major player there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we knew a number of people or uh, Iscott Steel. So that was part of the master plan. But here I was in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania at Lehigh University and Beth Steele and Lehigh had a Heck of a relationship, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, great iconic American company, you know. So with that, um, there um, also you know decided to get a uh, concentration in behavioral science and and, and psychology. So that was uh, and well, okay. Wait, metal, <laughs> and then wow, okay, that's a lot. Yeah, it it <laughs> it, it was a lot, but again. You know, if you look at the basis for how people behave, how people mm -hmm. choose what they want to purchase or buy, purchase whatever, marketing is psychology. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It is. And then the technical parts of building out, understanding your target markets, how are they thinking? What's the demographic? If you look at all the descriptive and say, why are people behaving their will? And if I put this in front of them, right, yeah. what will make them say, I want that from you? Right. At that price, or if right. you're going to give it to me for free, what's the trade-off? Right. right, right. So if you look at that, it's all behavioral study. Yeah, right. And um, yeah, there was an inkling at one time. My mom said, "You know, I, I think maybe you should be a doctor." And, and you, you know, whatever. She she said that one time. I never really took it seriously as such, but I, I thought understanding and uh, I love people. Yeah. Right. And and this what what I do every day is about you know people and and managing managing your own way but interfacing with people and getting groups of people 
moving them forward to do things. And, uh, you know, one of the greatest thrills for me, I've had a lot of people work for me over the years and, and promoting people and seeing that they're doing something at a higher level at another entity or something. You know, they've called me back and said, you know, we used to get pissed off when you kept us late on a Friday evening at meetings, things like that. But they said it paid off. We, we thank you for mm. keeping us late. I said, we had great happy hours after, didn't we? <laughs> you know, I said, I said that was the whole excuse. Yeah. You know, we had to, yeah, we had to make sure that we were after, after six o'clock, six thirty somewhere and we can go have a great happy hour after a great business week. Yeah. Right. So it's, so, you know, it's all, uh, part of that happy hour culture in this country is something that uh yeah it's, it's, it still hangs around yeah and uh yeah so so those are some of them. but uh education if, if i look back now we we're sitting last night listening to the president of the university talk and we talked about the interdisciplinary studies at 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 lehigh university and our you know great institution and part of that is um at that time, it wasn't as formal as far as um, uh, choosing coursework and being interested and different. Mm -hmm. But and now, uh, there are a lot of institutions, but Lehigh has been one of the best as far as um, promoting interdisciplinary. Mm -hmm. And you can get an engineering degree, and it's not just a guy with a pocket protector, right? right? And really, you have the finance behind you and all the other pieces. And, uh, you, you know, you got a great package coming out. Right. And educators have gotten better. And look, we have all the resources to educate people at a faster rate. Right. right. Yeah. So you don't have 100%. to sit in a library and just pour right. through right. all these books. Right. Internet, all the other pieces to serve it up. And if a human has capacity, they can have that interdisciplinary. So that's why I, you know, I sit there and say, people say, you know a lot about different things. I, I'm always interested. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm hmm and when someone has talked to me and have a conversation about what they do for a living, whether it be finance or whatever, whatever, I'm listening to them right. fully right. and understanding what they're doing, how they're manipulating, not manipulating, but making markets, shaping markets, yeah. whatever. So it's all part of commerce. And agribusiness is the basis for everything. If you can't feed your population, you got no economy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yeah. we see that right now with some of the stuff going on overseas and, and – you know, a breadbasket uh, such as, as Ukraine, at, uh, one of the biggest wheat producers in the world. And we see where the markets are, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I would say that you are definitely someone who was, um, you're definitely a visionary ahead of the time. I mean, it's just now, uh, I love marketing too, but I, I read these books, like there's a professor, uh, I think it's either Arizona State or uh, Robert Cialdini wrote a book called Influence. And, um, and then a couple other professors, and that was like in the late 90s and the early aughts. Where people are starting to now come, I, mean, I guess there were some companies who who kind of got it, but now it's more of the conversation like like what is the behavior like? Why do people do the things they do? Like why? Because there's stuff that's just hardwired into people, like you were alluding to. So if you can set off certain triggers, the behavior it, they can't help but to purchase if you if you click the right levers in their brain, and the people don't know why. So I for you to be back then thinking of, of like, and I love that you're just you're just you're voracious learner of life still to this day but that that just you know i have my little communications degree i was that was hard enough <laughs> doing presentations so uh. but, but you know it's just like my my composition book on the table right now right yep as i sit with you i'm here to learn also and 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 we sit together we're going to talk about subject matter and and hearing fully 
some of your, you know, I mean, this is not a 10-hour cast here that we have, and uh, we'll, we'll see each other again for good cigars and uh, and, and continue Absolutely. talking. But it's it's about also making notes, right? Because mm-hmm. I do listen, and that's one of the biggest things. God gave us two ears and two eyes to do it quite as much, and he gave us one mouth, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so with that, that's that's just a mantra of mine and, and just moving through and... Uh, you know, the sciences are, we were talking, uh, was I speaking to, two days ago, uh, I was talking to an associate and he was talking about that I didn't know he was a math major. And he was talking about, because uh, he was asking me, my daughter's looking at colleges now and, and what she's interested in. She's interested in business finance. And uh, he's a math major. And he was just talking about it. And he just said, it's the basis for everything. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, the greatest intellects back from Copernicus and, and Socrates, you name it. And those guys studied astronomy, the astronomers, and, the, and the, they studied and their mathematical concepts and their, some of their genius. They're, you look at their writings, right? Plato, Aristotle, it's present day. Mm-hmm. They shared what, where we are, where we are now. Uh, you know, one of the most interesting thing, I think, the, the, this collision of the democracy and free market capitalism, mm-hmm. right? This this intersected course, and it it is at a collision point because that balancing off free market capitalism with democracy, it is a challenge. Yeah, and took you know people were saying, look it, look how many years it took democracy here to marinate, hundreds of years, right? Yeah. And so you have other entities around the world. Saying okay, we're we're going democratic. We're going to you know um, support democracy now. But that commitment and perseverance to say you know make this work, and it's going to take X amount of years for it to marinate and really settle in. It's uh, interesting stuff. Yeah, that's that's interesting. You brought that up. I just did. I just finished listening to a book, and it was and it was yes, yeah. Actually, it's an interesting book. It's called Woke Capitalism. And uh, it was basically about um, what you said, where the free market capitalism and democracy are colliding and, you know, the issues that we deal with, with um, campaign finance reform um, and also um, making sure that uh, these companies don't use their power you know, because they have all these billions of dollars, make sure they're using their power not to stifle democracy because the, people think um, that, oh, it's great that this company says, uh, you know, has this commitment or comes out and says, you know, this is our, our values. But a lot of those companies, like this guy worked at Goldman, he's like, for Goldman Sachs, like that's just because it's fashionable and profitable, right? It's not, they actually have no commitment to it. And we really need to vigorously um, in this country, fight for our democracy. So I just think, so you, man, you just straight spot on with it. It's just kind of crazy. You just, you're just, you're spot on with so many things. So you leave Lehigh, you graduate rather, you graduate from Lehigh. And then what, what did you do next? Mets Metallurgical Corporation. Okay. Plunged right into metallurgy. It was right down the road, South Plainfield, New Jersey, right up the road from Somerville. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, plunged in there. And uh, right away I was, uh, thrust into a supervisory role because someone got hurt. This is a chemical plant. Okay. And all we handled was platinum, palladium, gold, silver, uh, strategic metals. 
And we, we did some very interesting stuff there. It, it was powder metallurgy, bringing all these precious metals to liquid form and then bring it. And we, we supplied a lot of uh, uh, um, precious metal powders for the, uh, for the computer and the space industry. Oh, wow. Go on, on uh, chips and microprocessors. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of they had to uh, be able to we, we, we came up with some um, very interesting uh, projects that uh, had to pass muster defense and different coatings, polymer systems, resin systems. So this was, you know, you're in the middle of it. As I was saying to you, it was precious metals in the world. You had to you know, bring this, reduce it with hydrochloric acid. And, 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 and this was dangerous stuff, dangerous stuff, because you, you, know, you, you talk about, you look at the atomic table and yep. chart and, you know, heat, chemical reactions and, and what that could cause and the byproducts, just like fermentation of wine. You know, heat is also always the byproduct that hurts everything mm. and, and creates and, and it, it, you know, and great winemaking. And I'm just going to kind of correlate because, yeah. again, we pull together and people say, you know, from metallurgy and, and, and materials and polymers and resin systems to whatever, it's, yeah, it, it's the same fermentation processes and stuff and chemical processes that uh, makes a great wine. And, um, you know, but, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we did uh, some um, top secret projects for, uh, I, you know, a classified well, can. the top secret. <laughs> yeah, and, and uh, we worked on a lot of um, things. There are companies that would always say, hey, you know, we're thinking about this. You know, see if you guys can uh, – Play with this, and let's let's see what type of uh, what outcomes that done, and 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 so you really had to project management was real serious. You were playing with that kind of money, right? In in a days in in a week's time, you know, we, we'd have hundreds of millions of dollars of precious metals going through there, going through the plant, right? You used to have to go through like the airport check you have now. Yeah. Make sure the stuff wasn't on your shoes. Right. You had to, you know, uh, rinse down when you left. That's silver flake and stuff like that. Where Scott Air packs, but it, it, it really in the university you had labs and and you know, that education and opening your pathways in your mind. Right. And that's what education is about. Mm -hmm. The arts, the sciences, mm -hmm. and all the others, and proven. And but getting in firsthand. And, and starting to help run a business that you're responsible, right? And uh, there was no learning curve there. You, you really had to follow procedure or you could create an explosion or people mm -hmm. would get hurt. Mm -hmm. So you had to log everything and make sure everyone knew what you added to that reaction within the last hour, how much heat is on it, things like that. So it, it really defined discipline. Mm -hmm. And um, again, in, in any system, a disciplined system, you usually have uh, good outcomes. But when it's super sensitive, whether you're dealing with nuclear reactant, again, heat mm -hmm. is the culprit, right? Just like global warming now, yeah. heat is the, right. is the culprit and you need that balance. So uh, these are some of the things we worked on. And I, uh, yeah, I had, had a great run there because they let me do things that I was thinking about and I was able to take stuff off the shelf, play with systems. And it was good. It was a good run. 
but I got bored with that, being with a Scott Air Pack and being inside, uh, you know, I had to be in mills. We were milling these, these uh, flakes mm-hmm. and looking under a microscope to look at the, the flake size and the character, just like a snowflake. You know, you, you look at a silver, a flake of silver under an electron microscope, and you see it had to have certain characteristics in order to meld with a resin system. So then I got, uh, after a certain point, I, it was good. And then I went over to Johnson & Johnson. Okay. I, got, uh, I, I got hired in there in the sales program. And, um, yeah, it was in, uh, all of a sudden in the healthcare business. Oh, that's wild. <clears throat> you know, full-fledged. And uh, I said, I'll carry a, uh, carry a sales bag from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of the best, well, obviously, best companies in the world. Yeah. And, uh, incredible training program. Mm-hmm. And we grinded it out from grocery stores to wholesalers to you name it, selling Band-Aid brand. Uh, I mean, it was during that time when I worked there, we had the Tylenol scandal. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. We had the Tylenol poisoning. Yeah, because that, that's why you now have the foil, because of people, someone's spiking them. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm and all, all, the, all the packaging around pharmaceuticals and the drug industry, I mean, that helped to revolutionize, yeah. and, and, and people had to come up with better closures, yeah. right, and safer closures, because we said... Some parts of humanity were just not, uh, yeah. They 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 just didn't think the way that most of, yeah. and they could hurt you. Yeah. So, uh, but that you know that's a great story in itself because there are business school cases. The the business school cases they always look at the Tylenol case. Okay. And how responsibly the company handled that. Right. And at the time, the chairman was uh, Jim Burke and. Uh, uh, you know, it was great. One of my greatest times at Johnson Johnson, I had the privilege of having lunch with Jim Burke one day because I was one of the top sales guys, and uh, X amount of us would be able to have lunch with the chairman of Johnson and Johnson Global. I mean, that was special. In That's New, amazing in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. And you could ask him one question. <laughs> we each had one question we can ask him. But um, that, as I was saying, the business school study now is how Johnson and Johnson was able to. Uh, removed the Tylenol from the shelf. We took every piece of Tylenol off the shelves in this country. That's gas stations. That's mm. uh, swimming pools. That's bodegas. That's grocery stores. Every, I mean, I worked up and down this East Coast from the Canadian border down. We didn't sleep for weeks. It was a military operation. Wow. And we got every, but the interesting part was we kept our shelf space and Tylenol came back stronger than ever when we replaced the uh, it wasn't, you know, it was lots of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars that had to be thrown away. Yeah, yeah. We just couldn't take the chance. Yeah, no, I, that, and that that is that's but, utterly responsible. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. So any lecturer, I, you know, I've been asked to speak at different, you know, business settings and things like that. And I said, you have it in your textbooks as a case study. I lived it. There it is. <laughs> I love that. So that's when you started in sales. And then you went over to, at the time it was called Grand Metropolitan. So then when did, when did you? Well, I've been in sales for a long time. I've okay. been in sales all my life. Okay. I mean, my first paper route was 20, 20 customers. I love that. And I made it 500 customers by the time it was what? done. What? You're that guy. I was that guy. Yeah. yeah. So sales is always a passion for me. And look, we we walk in somewhere, you know, people receive you or not. You're selling yourself before you even open your mouth. You know that. Right, right. right? And especially in late 60s and early 70s. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You walked in. Guy looked like you or me? Yeah. 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 Decorum. A sense of decorum. Like you said, we didn't have much, but mom said, 
keep your teeth brushed, your hair combed, neat. And if you have to wash it every night, make sure it's neat the next day and pressed. Mm. That's it. Basic standards, right? Mm -hmm. We didn't need too much. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, but I'm in sales for, you know, know, the ingenuity at the racetrack, you know. Yeah. yeah, It is sales. I, people, I love, we kind of think like, I tell people everything's sales and marketing. People don't understand that. Like, like, what do you think a job interview is? What do you think a date is? You're selling yourself to somebody. That's like right. everything is sales. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, every last bit of it. Um, you know, uh, when, when you know when the kids try when the kid writes the on the wall with the crayon and tries to point at their sibling and the crayons in hand. That's a sales job. They're trying to convince you. They're trying to convince you to do something else. So it's pretty crazy. Um, so. So the J and J, that yeah. formal, you know, medical yeah. and, and healthcare sales and and all that, you know, it, it was a great run. But it it was um, great company, and uh, always had great baby prod- baby powder samples. All my friends that were having kids, yep. I'd have to get them a goodie bag from the Johnson and Johnson store. <laughs> Right. And, and, and they say, what do you have in your garage? I'll trade you. You know what I mean? So I was trading baby powder and, and shampoo and oil and, and, uh, you know, reach toothbrushes, act mouth rinse. Cause we had these samples that we had to go around with, or if we had to clear out a, gro- a grocery store, we'd have damages in the back mm-hmm. and we had to give them credit cause it was unsaleable to the general public. Right. But they would go in the trunk of my car and say, I'm not going to buy Mouth rinse. I can use what I just picked up. I mean, they don't. We can't sell it, right? But, you know, whatever, whatever. So, uh, but um, yeah, you know, again, incredible training. So you know, you, you get a grad degree because everybody in the company, your all your peers, were as good or better than you. Yeah. Uh, you know, company yeah. really recruited talented people. Yeah. And then I look around, you couldn't. I don't know whatever, but. Yeah, it was one of those things, again, opportunity, mm-hmm. uh, 80s, and uh, had this recruiter that always followed me. He said, hey, you won't, you ready to make that move out of J&J? He mm-hmm. said, because they like Procter & Gamble. They like J&J. Right. Lever, they, these were all well-trained, uh, right? Because, yeah, yeah that, was, that was an error. Those were the standards. IBM, all those companies had incredible sales training programs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and management training yeah. programs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you came out of there, you write your next ticket. And uh, he called me one day at the right right time. His name was Sandy Gorlick, and he said, "You know, come on, you you, you got to give it a shot." And he caught me at the right time. <laughs> you know, late '80s, and I was like, "He said, you got to take a look at this company. They're a British company, and uh, you know, the jobs in Florida." I'm like, you know, it's like. Hmm, close to the tropics. Close yeah, to exactly. Again, yeah, right? yeah. Jobs in Florida, and and uh, you know it's a great job and you know, good management role. So I visited with him, talked to me, and I said, Sandy, I think I might be interested. And he's like, I can't believe this because you've been chasing me for four or five years. <laughs> yeah, every year, call me two or three times a year. Come on, I got one for you. I got this one, and. Um, so I, uh, you know, he introduced me to the management, started chatting with them, and uh, you know, it was, just, it, it, it was good. It was food, beverage, hospitality mm-hmm. company owned Pillsbury Foods, uh, Hagen Dazs ice cream. How can you go wrong with a brand like Hagen Dazs? Yeah, right? especially then. Worcestershire sauce. Oh, uh, Liam Perrins. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, I, I said Pillsbury. Yeah. And uh, Burger King, 
Pearl Vision Eye Care. So it was Grand Met Holding Company out, yeah, of, out, of, out of London. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm a British subject anyway. I was born under the British flag mm -hmm. in the Caribbean. So I said, you know what, this is meant to happen. And, and that's how I kind of roll my life. Mm -hmm. you, you get a feel at a certain time and you say, this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so I made, the, I made the move. I, it was uh, bittersweet leaving Johnson Johnson. Uh, whatever, but I still hold on to my stock <laughs> and, uh, and whatever. Look, it's a, uh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, bought more after, yeah, I left. But uh, went over to Grand Met, Hube Line Company, and, uh, and uh, this, uh, they owned Smirnoff. I uh, uh, had the rights to Jose Cuervo in America, Bully Vineyard Wine, Engel Nook, Almaden. Mm -hmm. So it was a great company of brands, right? Yeah. And I was like, okay, start here. And maybe move over to Pillsbury Foods or Hagen Dazs or something like that, mm -hmm. and uh, that never happened. Okay. You know, got into the beverage division, and uh, you know, one of my first things was running a black velvet model search. Remember black velvet Canadian whiskey? Yeah, yeah, model search down in uh, in, in Florida and, and the likes of so many of the supermodels were. Yeah, <laughs> we had another guest who who who. Uh, he was in music at first, and he he started he like was too early at music festivals, but like he had sold his company, made some money, and, and he went down there. He to judge like he paid ten thousand dollars to judge a Hawaiian tropic, yeah, yeah, <laughs> bikini contest. Yep, yep, yep. That's yeah. and that's what it was like down there in the late eighties. You know, yeah, yeah, Florida, Florida the, yeah. the Orlando Convention Center yeah. had the had the Black Velvet Models. My first night, official night on the job. Uh, you know, you had uh, Kim Alexis, Kim, um, Kelly Emberg, wow. Sybil Shepard. All of them are former Black Velvet models. Wow. So, you know, I'm, I'm responsible for rolling around with them to the different outlets in, in Orlando and Home of the Mouse. And uh, it's <laughs> like, I'm getting paid for this? <laughs> so, But, again, you had to coordinate and, yep. and, and manage whatever. It's all about marketing and mm -hmm. presence and the brand and branding. And then we had uh, – um, Jose Cuervo, tequila under our management. So, you know, I, I had to manage in the state of Florida and other areas. Um, the same thing, volleyball, beach volleyball. Mm -hmm. And beach volleyball became really, started becoming better. So Cuervo games, a winner. We used to do that on the ski slopes and then the beach volleyball in, in, in Florida. I mean, people needed a Cuervo barrelhead T-shirt. They would, <laughs> they would do anything for a Cuervo barrelhead T-shirt. And you know, it had all types. Willie Nelson, uh, you know, we uh, collaborated with Willie Nelson and, and Tanya Tucker, and whatever. So it, it was really hospitality and entertainment yeah. at its fullest. And uh, there, and and Atlanta-based also had Texas, Kentucky, the whole um, southeast quadrant uh, to the Midwest. So did a lot of skiing and a lot of volleyball <laughs> management. <laughs> Nice. Um, you know what, Peter? We need to take a quick break, and, and we'll come right back, and we'll uh, unpack more of your incredible journey. So we'll be right back, everybody. All right. Are you ready for another great distributor to look for when shopping for fine wines and spirits? Let me tell you about Independence Wine and Spirits, or IWS. IWS is one of the hot, up-and-coming distributors of fine wines and spirits headquartered in New York City. Like Taub Family Selections, IWS is owned by the Tao family, who have re-entered the New York wholesale market, bringing the family back to its roots in distribution, where they held court from 1951 through 2004. 
IWS is proud to represent an exceptional portfolio of high-quality, terroir-centric, and historic producers from around the world, including Italy and France, where they have an exciting roster of burgeoning vinrolins from Burgundy that are coming your way soon. They also have domestic producers such as La Coya, Cardinale, Staglin, El Molino, and many more. To learn more about IWS, go to independencewine.com. It's no secret that everyone's wine education journey is unique. You deserve a wine school that not only delivers top-notch content, but also guides you on a learning path that's right for you. So whether you're looking to earn your WSET certification or just get the basics without the stress of certification in their Wine 101 or 201 courses, the Napa Valley Wine Academy is the place to be. Go to NapaValleyWineAcademy.com for more information. Okay, we're back. So you're managing volleyball and ski, and but like at like what I love about your background, like it's high level. Like you something you even said with Johnson and Johnson, like when you pull time off, like it was like a military operation. So you operate with really precision and process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so um, I don't know, should we jump ahead? Yeah, let's jump ahead a little bit. So let's talk about so how long were you I know how to do this. How long were you uh with uh, a Grand Metropolitan Group? Um and then uh what uh Yeah, that was quite a number of years in Atlanta just before the Olympics. Okay. So from uh, from like eighty nine through the through the just before the Olympics mm-hmm. I left because traffic started getting horrendous in Atlanta. They asked me to go to Orange County, California to take a look and whatever. I'm just I'm just not a West Coast You're guy. Not California, ain't no West Coast. I'm just not a West Coast guy. It's fun to go out there and do beach volleyball stuff and volleyball dolly and all that good stuff. But, you know, it just didn't, it, it didn't work out. And I ended up coming back to New York City when I drove over to Veranzano Bridge from, from, from uh, Atlanta. It, it was just... That night I drove across, I was thinking Saturday night fever, dot, dot, yeah. dot, the lights on the bridge. And I was just like, I'm back. Yeah. You know, and I, I started running uh, the uh, fourth largest distributor of uh, beverage alcohol in, in, in the country at the time. It was uh, Peerless Importers from the Malioko family. Wow. And, um, yeah, I was their general a GM for them, managing their, you know, sales. So uh, that was uh, um, great. We had, uh, again, all types of. Great brands under management at the time, from Johnny Walker to to Bacardi to to Smirnoff and uh, Cuervo and Bailey's, Romana Zambuca, yep. uh, Amaretto di Serrano. I mean, these are these are to this day they're in every bar, yeah. every bar. Yeah, and we work closely with Bob Mondavi, Robert Mondavi. Okay, you know, at, at that time, wine lists in in, in New York were mainly uh, Italian. Italian wine, uh, some German, and uh, and French. Yeah, California was sort of just making its way here. Mm-hmm. So Robert Mondavi, you know, and and his team, the Mondavi Winery, they just did an incredible job with uh, doing wine tastings, wine dinners, starting to you know we all worked hard to get placements on restaurant wine lists, and 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 California and other California growers. It followed suit mm-hmm. and and started, you know, making way. And you say our New York wine list converts. So I I was happy to be thrilled to be, you know, part of that and uh, that metamorphosis, and uh, that you know, he, he came through there. And so many years working with again great brands, working with very talented uh, managers of these major uh, producers. Mm-hmm. 
and from all over the world. And you know, got some great trips out of it, right? I played, I've played St. Andrews 17, 18 times. Oh, wow. In a function of, we, we had this brand called Famous Grouse Scotch. Yeah, I don't, I don't And we, you know, Famous Grouse Scotch, and you know, we, we reworked the wild turkey business. Austin Nichols was right here in the city on 40, uh, what is 40, 45th Street, I believe. They had, they owned Yuhu and Orangina also. I remember Orangina. I love the original Orangina. It was right? so good. So Austin Nichols was a company, the branded company that managed all those brands. So we had that under management. But, you know, this business, it, it takes you, it, it gets you to every port of call mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. Portugal to Spain to, and just incredible culinary. And you get to meet some of the greatest chefs, some of the greatest winemakers in the world. They know their science, right? Mm-hmm. These folks are using the sciences to craft something that gives you an experience that you say, you're, you know, you say, wow, the endorphin flow and the release that you're having an incredible night in a chateau in France with some of the, you know, it's, that's what's all about. The whole food, beverage, as you were saying before, process, discipline, and, uh, you know, vineyard tent, you know, you understand vineyard management. And, you know, people don't understand viticulturists and, and the winemakers. These guys are challenged mm-hmm. when, when, as you know from some of your, when the weather mm-hmm. and and uh, late, you know, late rain during harvest oh, time, that's the worst. At the worst, the worst, or, or oh, the worst. the grapes haven't reached the ripeness and they're fighting to to stay on the vine for a few more days to get that sugar content right. I mean, these guys are masterful, and then them saying. This is how much barrel we're going to need to use with this this year, with this vintage and whatever. When you start getting down to the nth degree of that, then you talk about, you know, again, my background on the scientific side and hearing these guys do their trade, then, you know, handling uh, sugars, which is what we're doing, fermentation process, and handling it the right way and and coming out with balance, right? Yeah. So what do you (laughs) have to ask? So what do you think of natural wine? What I think of natural wine, I, I, I think that, you know, you conventional winemaking, when you say natural wine, you mean from natural yeasts and natural fermentation. Um, yeah, there's a, I'm, I'm, there's a, some people who like, they just like, just stomp the grapes. It just, it just, it's native yeast. It just, yeah, from there. They don't, but they're not, they're like, they're not using, like, people don't realize, like, people make wines naturally that don't have chemicals. But you're using science in your advantage. I, I, sometimes I think some of the the, nat, the new natty natty wine people they're, they're using science to their disadvantage, right? Like, yeah, sugar it's going to ferment, right? Okay, we know that. But then, like, are you trying to craft the best wine you can, or are you just trying to say, well, this is natural wine and it's better for you? And that's that's what I'm talking about. So, so with that, and and that's why I want to ensure that you know, again, we both have our own interpretations, and mm-hmm. you talk to. 10 people that, you know, from organic to a natural wine and they're, we're a country of labels now. Yep. We're always, we're de- over-defining down to the nth degree. Mm-hmm. And that's why I asked you to clarify because, and, and so you and I talking about subject matter today about just allowing the natural process, right? And the natural uh, yeast that may be existing on, on the skin or in the air to, to go. So as you just said, I've seen that people, that natural thing, and 
no intervention from a, or other you know other chemistry things like that that is so important to them and taste is not right yeah and and but here's what i'm going to say to you because people have always asked me what is this supposed to taste like and i say your saliva your 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 composition how you were breastfed as a kid ends up determining how certain things on your palate <laughs> right yeah uh, taste yep. and and so the conventional way i've seen some winemakers or or uh, psalms just get totally batty because they're in front of an audience and they have defined that this should taste like hints of this and hints mm -hmm. of that and a little clove and this and finish right, right. and the other people aren't feeling that and then they say something like it tastes like a dry peanut butter and jelly sandwich <laughs> and then the psalm or whatever they go bananas right, and they right. want you see them stomping right. and they're breathing fire right. and they won't even talk to the person at the end of the wine presentation because right. right. they say you're you're beneath me and that's what happened in this business right it became so damn snobby at a point mm -hmm. right and and so from my standpoint if somebody says that this is my natural um, concoction and they their endorphin release and their happiness mm -hmm. comes from that they created that mm -hmm. and it's then it's good for them I'm good with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's how I have been, and you know, over, thir over three and a half, almost three and a half decades, of of wine, you know, wine knowledge and and working with some of the top, um, and some of the bottom, viticulturists and and how they do their technique because where they might be on the globe trying to make wine, mm -hmm. and hearing from them. What they're trying to achieve if these guys it may not be to a 96 rated point standard mm -hmm. right true to varietal content or whatever but if they achieve with their little skill or knowledge what they feel is whatever their happiness quotient is satisfied mm -hmm. and and that's what i you know in my food and wine vein as i've sat in front of lots of folks they want to get technical and go and want to know how many uh, you know, hours of fermentation malolactic and yeah. whatever whatever then we can go there that's what kicks you off we'll go there but for the most part of my audience i said find something tonight that you like that can pair on what with, with what you're having on your plate or what you've started with tonight and if it brings a smile to your face whatever uh, you know the wine critics say rating or whatever if it's a hundred to you we're good yeah so that's what I'd say to you about uh, uh, natural, organic, and, and what people are achieving, trying to achieve in the health sphere of, of the world now. Right. Um, yeah, it's very important to them. And I, I, I like that. we want everybody's mental balance that they're good. Yeah. You know? No, I love what you said. And I had an MW on, and she said the same thing. Like, you're, everyone's saliva is different. Like, like, so, like, I can't, you know, you can't tell people what they're tasting. So and and I always tell people, first of all, drink what you want to drink. That if you enjoy, just enjoy. Listen, if you want to have Pinot Grigio and a burger, then that's what you should have. Like you don't have to have the perfect pairing. You should, like you said, what brings joy to you. Now I know what I enjoy, and I think what people have liked about the podcast. Like I don't like to go deep in the weeds, 
on like I said, if it's on a tech sheet, you can read the tech sheet. You know the bricks and the date and mm-hmm. what the rainfall is. Yep. But it, like I'm loving the stories you're sharing with us. That's what we we do here. So let's jump ahead a little bit. So when did you start, uh, Peter uh, Andrew uh, LC, the consulting? So business? so after um, uh, sitting at you know again at peerless importers and. Uh, you know, in this business, there's always a lot of jostling, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, we used to have Kettle One under management, things like that. And I was sitting there one day. I, and, I know all these brands because of my age, and like you helped launch all these brands. I, this yeah, is, we've worked on wow. in, in my yeah. It's it's, and that's why I said this whole marketing thing, and sitting in in planning meetings to say how do we get this out, how do we roll this out in this category, and get some shelf space, and get the consumer excited about trying it, right? So, the the I in 1998, and tomorrow is April Fool's Day has been a major day for me <laughs> career wise over years. I for some reason April one, I've always if I was making a major move career wise or or you know it's been a, around April one. Okay, wow, that's good. I like so it. turn so, it on its head. Yeah, so it was April 1, 1998, and when I, I made the move, I'd let, obviously, ownership know months before that I just, and I, I decided I was going to take a, a piece in a winery upstate New York, Brotherhood Winery, America's oldest That's the oldest winery. winery. Yeah. I, I didn't find out until like two years ago. Yeah. 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 That's... So I was... Uh, you know, I became part of the ownership team up there, and uh, we the sellers there were great. People used to, I used to meet them in the city. And they said we used to go up there and party, <laughs> and uh, you know during prohibition, right? Because they made Sacramento wine, mm-hmm. they continued. But the sellers were storied, and a uh, you know, childhood friend of mine from uh, Somerville, Steve Mitchell, he's just such a handy guy. I got him up there, and we we you know he was. Just working on stuff in the cellar. Cesa Baeza, one of the he's one of the top wine masters in the world. Mm-hmm. You talk about a palate. I again, I will. He's one of my mentors, and and as far as wine making and understanding, and this man can. He he's one of those that his palate, and he can tell you what year, what vintage, and he's always inside that window. You know, just blind, blind, blind. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty good. You know, I, I, I was blessed with the pretty good and people say to me, when you got to do 750 to 800 wines in, in a day and you go overseas to some event expo or some whatever, whatever, or some of the sessions I've had to do with, um, you know, you, you got to, your palate gets pretty um, fatigued mm-hmm. and, and you got to understand how to handle that, whatever. But uh, when you, you can pick up uh, your, obviously your sense of smell. And then with what people have been plagued with the last two years yeah. with COVID and losing smell and yeah. taste, yeah. Um, you know, that that's something critical that you can't afford to lose yeah. in in this business. Yeah. No, 100%. And food. So, um, yeah. So, Cesar Baeza is up at Brotherhood. And, uh, you know, we had we had great, great plans laid up there and to say, hey, let's let's make this back into something. New York State Winery, America's oldest winery and dot, dot, dot. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, again, we can lay out all the plans we want, but uh, the, the cosmos has a master plan for us. You know how that goes, right? Yep, yep. And, uh, you know, I got a call one day. I'm sitting down at my house or whatever, and it's Steve. And he said to me, the winery's on fire. Oh, 
And I said, what? And he said, the winery's on fire. And yeah, and it was all over the news, Brotherhood Winery's on fire. I'm turning on TV and all that, whatever. I went up there the next morning, yeah, and the state trooper stopped me. Where are you going? You can't go in there. I said, I'm one of the owners. He said, oh, you can go in. <laughs> and they go in, and uh, so we're sitting in the offices looking at the uh, you know, the building, and there was a chapel there, that whatever, whatever, and all that was standing were the stone walls. Mm. And it was a snowy day, and so the steam was rising up from that. And I just sit there, numb, and I said, to Cesar, I said, this is some meaning for char, chardonnay. <laughs> and he, he broke a smile and I said, that's it. That's it. So we got chardonnay. And, uh, yeah, so, you know, that, that put us in a, in a place that I, uh, and I, uh, you know, I, I shifted, had to pivot. Yeah. And uh, so Peter Andrew, I had started Peter Andrew already and, and had that sitting on top, but the winery was going to be, you know, mm -hmm. a, a, this platform that gave us five outlets in New York that we could sell New York State wines at and all that. So it put us in, as a New York State vintner and distiller, it gave you certain privileges mm -hmm. and all that. And we had a marketing plan to do that, but that put us behind. So, um this, uh, you know, we did some projects for uh, Pernod and and uh, the folks that own Alizé mm -hmm. here and Remy and, uh, you know, some other major consulting projects. So I was overseas and all that. And then I, South Africa was just opening up. Yeah. And uh, I, got mm -hmm. a, I got a call from a gentleman one night, a dear friend of mine. Um, his name was uh, Bob Lee. And he said, Pete, he said, look, he said, I've got some guys that have come to me, but I can't help them. He said, I want to introduce them to you. I know you can help them. And uh, he, he was just a, a great human being, Bob Lee. We worked together. And uh, may he rest in peace. And uh, so the guys were leaving the next day for South Africa. And they said, can you, can you meet us tonight? And I said, okay. And they said, you know, we'll meet you at like 11 o'clock at night. And we're staying down at, uh, we're staying in one of the Helmsley hotels. I said, okay, I'll meet you. So I yeah, finished doing what I was doing. I was in Manhattan anyway, and I went over and met with them, and they unveiled. Uh, they said, "Look, we, you know, we really want to try to get this. Oh, you, I know you know about apartheid and da da da." And we sat there talking, and I said, "I said Bob Lee sent you to me, and I said I'll help you. I'll I'll try to help you if I can." And uh, the guy smiled. He said, I'm going to leave this with you. And so he didn't have to figure out how to bundle this liquid and put it back on the plane. He said, I'll leave this. And it was a brand called Imoya. And Imoya was in a green and gold bottle. And it was a, a brandy from the Cape of Good Hope made by one of the uh, you know, collaboration of a, a black brandy master, Dr. Elroy Goliath. And, uh, and uh, his... his uh, um, counterpart at uh, at, at uh, KWV, and uh, it was um, Kubis Kubis Jellerbrom. Kubis was the uh, his 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 counterpart, and they teamed up. And again, this was you know early days. Ninety four was uh, the Democratic election, and I started. I they said they you know we'd love for you to come down to the Cape and and see us and all that and. 
I headed on down to the Cape of Good Hope. And, uh, and then we flew to Canada together to talk in marketing agency and, and, um, you know, we, uh, put it together and, you know, walking around the Cape of Good Hope. Um, we, uh, Rutgers was on the ground down there. Yeah. As I was walking around, obviously coming out of apartheid, things were very challenged, you know, just getting fresh running water, the school systems as always in an agrarian society. Uh, always challenged, as we have in our country in some parts of agrarian society. And uh, we always said, look, I uh, will look at, I'm, I'm here because I'm supposed to be here. I really believe that. Mm -hmm. And I said, uh, I will help, but uh, we need to get these kids up off the floor mm. and, and, and the various, because the, the farm schools, certain farms, the parents picked all day and the, and the young people uh, were huddled in uh, what's supposed to be a school, but didn't have much to it. You hope they got a glass of milk. And, uh, you know, usually not, not too many shoes and things. So I said, we got to get these kids off the floor. And, uh, while I was walking in one of the vineyards, a young person came over and said, sir, can I borrow a pencil? I, I gave him a pen. It was yeah, some kind of good pen. Mm -hmm. and I handed the kid the pen and, and they went away and we were doing our things in the vineyard, looking at grape quality. And then the young person came back and said, thank you, sir. And I said, what are you doing? And they were writing on the side of a small piece of a paper bag that, it found and you know that's how it and i said to him i'll work with you but you contribute we contribute let's get these kids off the floor and let's get them some pens and all that and uh dear friend in jersey who was a rutgers grad vic nichols uh he and i he knew i was i called him and he said look dr darren clark he has a team of uh, uh educators down there from rutgers university and they have a program and yeah, so we got back here and we got Dr. Clark, myself, and I together and said, you know, I need an educational partner. Mm -hmm. said, we're the commercial. So we, um, that was part of our Vision 57 foundation okay. that we yeah. launched. And Rutgers was the educational partner on the ground. Lehigh ended up joining on uh, later. Uh, and uh, you know, I thought I had two great institutions that could help advance some of the – and it was about teaching South Africans how to do anything educationally. It was just – putting some resources before their own government could actually get it there in a, in a and we didn't want to lose those generations, right? Mm -hmm. And at-risk communities and shanties and things like that. So we had a heck of a program. I mean, we started putting books and computers and all that and wine containers and sending it back down uh, to the Cape. And, uh, you know, we had certain schools we adopted, adopt a school program and Educators from New Jersey that were part of the Rutgers uh, Graduate School of Education would uh, go down, and they would spend two to three weeks, and in fact, some of them living in some of the homes with the families and, mm. and things like that. So it wasn't all coddled up or whatever. Real life, real world. And once the educators said to me, they said, "This is one of the greatest experiences I've had in my life because life changing, and it wasn't about us thinking we were going to go teach them. We learned from them." Mm. They don't have near as much as us, and they're still conveying educational concepts that are sticking and that are working. So it was good for the folks here to see how much we really have here mm -hmm. to work with. Mm -hmm. And these folks didn't have as much, but they were still the base education, basic educational concepts. So again, uh, you know, I'll continue always been the support of education that was ingrained in me early. And uh, yeah, so that's some of the work we did. You know, I had the chance to 
to meet in Becky, uh, President Becky, President Mandela, and and mm. and um, and um, uh, Desmond Tutu, and you know, we we work very closely with South African consulate here. We went to and helped, you know, went to the World World Bank and and tried to help farmers as they were trying to. Um, raise funds for their fruits and vegetables and things like that. So we actually sat in Washington, D.C. at the World Bank and and and, or, and and just trying to talk about the agribusiness there. Again, people needed to be able to feed yeah. the multitudes, yeah. right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, the Cape of Good Hope, uh, an amazing place. Have you ever been? No, I have not been to well, South that's, Africa. That needs to be, I, okay. I know. I, because, uh, again, it, it, again, so I was telling you about here in the 60s in America and, and, and going through, you know, the racial unrest and mm -hmm. things like that. And then in the Cape of Good Hope, right, you have you know, majority and you know, black minority here. Cape of Good Hope, you had black majority and, and white minority rule. But the reality of it is obviously the democratic election and the, that transfer of power in a peaceful manner, relatively peaceful mm -hmm. manner. And Mandela, yeah, again, stated what he wanted to do and this forgiveness and reconciliation, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and that people were able to talk to each other and say, I know I did, mm -hmm. what I did was wrong and whatever. So right. it, wow. I was, uh, again, those chapters in your life and you say why you end up where you end up at the time, uh, no grad school could have taught me that. No, that's just... I was live on the ground mm -hmm. in the agribusiness and interfacing with uh, you know, students and, and mm -hmm. teachers who were so thankful. And we'd bring them down, you know, whether it's coats or bike program or whatever. Just they they were so appreciative that someone cared. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is this theme at this point clearly of the humanitarianism through your work. Um, Talk a little bit about um, your project with the uh, New York City firefighters. Yeah, yeah. So the, the uh, Firehouse Kitchen is the uh, is is the TV show, and 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 Ray Cooney uh, has been the you know he's the star of of, of that, and uh, and Gerard Kane is his uh, is his partner. So they came to me one day and they said, you know, well, I know them from a network business networking group. Okay. And uh, Gerard came to me and he said, you know, I'm going to introduce you to, to Ray, Firefighter Ray. And uh, so I said, fine. And then we all got together and again, food and, 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 and wine. And, and then he said, uh, you know, maybe we put one of your products on our show and whatever. And I said, why don't we do better than that? Why don't we make you, uh, you know, a, a, a product? So that you don't have to keep going around canvassing, but you can uh, have your own wine. And he said, will it go well with grilled foods and things like that? And I said, that they cook in the firehouse? I said, we can construct it with you. And so that's what we did. We, uh, we said, you know, no formal big agreements or whatever. whatever. We said, uh, let's do this. So we, uh, I tasted them through like 50-something wines, different reds that I had in the warehouse and all that. And he said, that profile, like that profile right there, you know, a little bit of smoke and this and that and the other. And uh, they ended up choosing uh, the red wine that you have in front of you here. This is a uh, smoke eater. Yeah. First and that's do red. First do red. And, and that, that syncs up with the first do truck to a, 
you know, wanted to stay in that thematic of what these guys have done over all this time, right? First do truck that's, you know, on call to go out to a mm -hmm. fire. Okay. So incidentally, we tasted through from Bordeaux to Australia to whatever. Incidentally, they ended up choosing a pinotage from South Africa. Yes. <laughs> which is, you know, pinotage pairs up so well with grill foods. That marriage of uh, uh, peanut, Pinot Noir and Hermitage, that grape that uh, was, you know, grafted together back in 25 by Dr. Peril. And that's what they chose, blind. And wow. said, that's the taste profile that, you know, based on what we cook in the firehouses and, and, and some of the cuisine and things like that. So uh, that's uh, that's how the first do red was born, and we got one of my partners in a vineyard in South Africa and said, you know, give us some. And this thing is showing brilliantly right now, just running and running well. And um, so then we said we we needed to give it a white wine pairing and find an all hands white, which is another call, all hands on call and oh, white wine. I so that is that. the. All hands white, Pinot Grigio, Frulli, and uh, one of my, uh, you know, again, one of you know, this, this thirty-something years in this business, some great relationships at vineyards around the world. So we, we chose that to be the white. So that's the companion for now, and we're going to be, uh, you know, extending that that uh, that wine to go along with uh, uh, some of the uh, other foods that we're launching under the. Uh, yeah, because you said something about you. You have a, you're part of a cattle ranch in Montana. Yeah, yeah. So, so this is uh, you know we're in the we do we are in the cattle business, and uh, we uh, I also you know as I shared with you, fancy foods here in the Bronx is mm -hmm. my uh, anchor and 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 home. So the it's it's been an opportunity to put together my whole and during college in Lehigh. At night, I used to sell food after after school. I'd put on a suit at night and go around Pennsylvania selling uh, uh, meats and, 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 and freezer pack, American frozen foods out of Stratford, mm. Connecticut. Mm. So from college, right, that's a part-time job. I was yeah. selling meat. So it's, again, it's interesting. People are like, it. so um, about five, six, seven years ago, yeah, about seven years ago, um, some folks that were working on on some TV stuff in Hollywood uh, said, you know, my dad's working on a on a vodka. He needs he's gluten free. He's a celiac sufferer. Okay. So whatever. So, uh, so they talked to uh, one of the assistant producers, uh, Michael, and Michael said, "Oh my goodness, I know some guys back in New York, and <laughs> they probably can help you." So his dear friend Constantino Sagonis, and uh, and and. Uh, Constantino is one of my partners, and so Michael comes back and says, "Look, I want to introduce you to some cowboys from Montana." And uh, so uh, Brian Massard and Marcia and daughter Zira they flew out here, met us at a hotel outside uh, LaGuardia Airport, and we met with them. And they said, "You know, here's our gorgeous vodka. It's called Gorgeous Vodka." And they said, uh, "We have a pepper and a cranberry tea that goes well with cigars and straight." And he said he told me a story behind why he made it. He's celiac sufferer, and he mm -hmm. wanted to. And so it's from potato, uh, Idaho potatoes, Idaho and Montana. Montana raises a lot of potatoes. People don't know. Yeah. But Idaho. So um, he showed it to me, or whatever. And I talked him through, you know, 
vodka category, one of the most aggressive and competitive categories in this country. We talked through it, and he said that, you know, so he said, look, we'll uh, talk. Brian was walking around Manhattan with his big buckle on, and and, and it was a great meeting. And uh, so about 30 days later, he called me and said, you know, my family and I talked about it, and we think we want Blackhawk to help us. And uh, so I said, I'd I'd be thrilled to try to help you with it. Realistic, and I said, brutal category, but we will we'll help you. And I said, I like this. So I ended up, I had, I needed to go to Montana to take a look at things and production and all that. And so while I was out there, uh, you know, we you know, ended up in uh, Idaho. First, we had a big dinner and the, the potato that they gave me for uh, appetizer was as big as my head. Oh my God. Right. And they wanted to put tips. They wanted to put filet mignon tips on the potato. This was the appetizer. Oh, wow. I said, what? I will never be able to eat the main course if I eat a potato as big as my, my head with filet mignon tips on it. That's how they roll. Sour cream, chive, you name it, and, and little tips of something That's your appetizer. And I said, um, yeah, I'll eat a quarter of that. I want the tomahawk. And uh, so we did that. Then we went back to the ranch and the, and the feed yards and the, their stockyards stayed with them. And then I uh, said, we're going to go out to the big hole, which is where you know, their cows were grazing, cattle were grazing. And they said, we're going out there. They said, you've been on, you know, you got any experience with horses? I said, oh, yeah, I do, from a kid. So we went out there, and uh, it was a match made in heaven. You know, went out there and, and rode the range and, and uh, some things. And, uh, you know, the rest is history, and we talked about, uh, about meat, but they're mainly in the, they're some of the top breeders of Angus cattle in this country. Okay. It's called Reminis Ranch, and Brian Massard and Marsha are the principals. But uh, over the years, you know, from the Gorgeous Vodka and and that, um, they didn't know my deep uh, meat background mm-hmm. and, and protein background. And um, so from that, that's kind of melded and, uh, and that's how it happens. I was just out there uh, March 5th. We were there for the bull auction and sale, and they uh, they, they did some, some prize bulls. They had some excellent – they broke some records. And then uh, he and I moved uh, 250 uh, head out of the state grazing lands back to his ranch. And uh, I, I, When you say move – what 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 does that entail? He and I on horseback, okay, herding, and and everybody's asking me, "Have you seen Yellowstone?" I said, "Yeah, but I don't have enough time to be looking at Yellowstone." <laughs> but I know, I know Yellowstone. I've lived Yellowstone yeah, again. <laughs> I don't need to see your movie. I've lived yeah. This. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah. So we, uh, you know, we had to herd them out of out of the pasture that we're in in state grazing land, and then move them through and uh, move them back to. Um, his ranch. It was a few miles in between, and we're moving 250 head of cattle along the roadside. And Marsha's got the horse truck, and you know, whatever. And we got the you know, we had four or five uh, four cattle dogs, and uh, that's the whole like the whole deal. It's the whole deal. It's the whole deal. Being in big sky country, you hear your own heartbeat. Horse, my my horse is Will. Brian gave me Will big buckskin. Uh, he's over 15 hands, big buckskin. I'll show it to you before I leave here today. And uh, that's it. But at the bull sale, you know, they're 
cooking up fresh steaks, ribeyes on the back in the back grill. All the cowboys are cooking them up, and everybody that's at the bull sale is enjoying that with some. So uh, it's real, real life, real world. And again, what people don't understand is the amount of work that these cowboys actually do mm. to bring a piece of meat to market. And you sit there and think, but you know, roping and and herding getting up every day at four or five in the morning to feed those cows and then the snowfall that comes in and move them and, and you got to take care of them. And if they're not well, you got to take care of them. So ranching and farm work is hard and, and, and many people don't realize what it takes to really get food onto your table. Mm. Okay. And the commitment, you know, they're sitting out there in the, in the Midwest and West and they hear all these stories about how many people are uh, obviously during uh, some of the relief that the government gave with unemployment and things like that. And people were sitting at home and collecting money they hadn't collected before. And these guys out there, they said, we can't do that, Pete. We got to get up every day yeah. and feed these cows and the yeah. price of corn and grain and yeah. things like that. So, um, again, to, to be in the midst of that. And I love the agribusiness. And it's it's it's. You know, it's who, it's who I am. That's that's who I am. I got, you know, people always ask me all the time, you know, you love your cowboy boots. I said, yeah, I got lots of them. And I've always been, you know, wearing them. I've worn some of them <laughs> straight through. So, <laughs> you know, uh, ostrich and then say, you know, you just, but, you know, that's that's who it is. So, yeah, that's uh, my involvement out there. Brian's a partner and, and I'm a partner with, with them. And we're, we're uh, marketing meat, protein and, uh, you know, and his gorgeous vodka. I love it. I love it. I can't believe how time's flown by. Um, you, you've done, there's like, I'm sure you have 8 million more stories you could hear, yeah. share. Um, <laughs> um, so you obviously just, just cooking when you're five, food and wine is a big part. Was there, was there a bottle of wine that really had you fall in love with wine though? Do you have a memory of like your favorite bottle during all these years or anything like that? So, so one, you know, so, my open mind, I go in, again, for experience. Mm -hmm. And I will taste just about any wine from any part of the world, and I want to see what type of cuisine they have made it to. So I usually work with food wines. But okay. as far as memorable, I'll tell you, one of the wines before I even started working for the company, Bolu Vineyard out of California. Oh, yeah, BV. Right, BV. Mm -hmm. And BV before I even started working for them. And when I was just a you know, youngster, not knowing too much out there, just post-college, getting out of the beer drinking days and all. But, you know, people always just say, I got a buddy out of, uh, he's, he's his family is originally from like Switzerland, whatever. His father was an ambassador, but he used to say to me, you know, you were always like Joe Suave. <laughs> and he said, Joe Suave Bola. And he said, you know, uh -huh. I'd go out on a date or something. I would yeah, make sure. I, chose wine or try to whatever he said we were giving somebody a can of miller or budweiser and you were on the wine thing and i said wine flowers i said you know it's romantic yeah, yeah, yeah. it's romantic stuff but anyway bull Bo vineyard mm -hmm. right uh you know bv reserve yeah i remember latour. i had mm -hmm. absolutely the mm -hmm. latour absolutely so that was one of my most memorable before even getting into the business but one of the most incredible experiences i had we're at Chateau Pabouse okay. in France with mm -hmm. my dear friend Bob Dow, who mm -hmm. owns Pabouse. And we got to taste through all of the top wines. And this was uh, 2016, 
I think 2016 it may have been, we got to taste through all of the top rated wines of 1982 Bordeaux. Oh. That's all I'm going to say to you. All right. So <laughs> that's a good place to wrap up because that is a mic drop ending. <laughs> Um, Peter, tell people, thanks. First of all, thank you so much. Sir. I'm glad we finally got to do this. Thank you for coming. You're, you're, in. you're very welcome. Um, tell people where they can find out more about all the projects, all, all the things you have your hand on. Um, what yeah, sure. are you doing? Sure. As far as on, on the food side. So, um, smoke eater gourmet, uh, com, And within two weeks, we're going to be live as far as being able to have some of the finest cuts from ribeye to tomahawk that you have ever seen in this country. Smoke Eater Gourmet LLC, but smokeeatergourmet.com. And you're going to be able to order right online, uh, you know, Upper Choice Prime. And we are giving back to um, fallen firefighters, Fired Up for the Cure, and then uh, Tower the Tunnel, right? And my partner is Ray Cooney, Firehouse Kitchen Show. Uh, some new episodes will be running soon and whatever. And then on the on the beverage side, uh, BlackHawkImports.com. And from there, you'll see Gorgeous Vodka out of Montana and then Pedamo out of Italy. Uh, our DNA out of South Africa, which is a Cabernet Franc backbone, which you'll get to – I'll be leaving it here Thank for you, you to you. sample and taste. So Awesome. So everybody um, – don't forget to check out the show notes for each episode. We're going to put this information that Peter just shared so you can see it as well. Um, you'll find info on the wines that were on the table, all, all the gourmet products that he's bringing to you. Um, and uh, this was just another great episode. Thank you so much. Until the next time, cheers to the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers, and of course, to all you wine drinkers. Cheers. It's your boy MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list. 